0: Good morning, Father. It's fun to work with you and to be in your will. Lord, the happiest person in the world is somebody who knows they're where you want them to be, doing what you want them to do. Please fill us with your spirit today, we pray in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. See, we've got another A student here. Uh-huh. Couple A couple more. Um, somebody came up to me at church. She was a nurse and she said, do you know so-and-so Frank? Oh yeah, I know so-and-so. Well, he's not doing so well. Maybe you should go see him. The last person in the world that I wanted to go see was Frank. Frank was gay, and he was interested in me. I remember during an evangelistic series at this church, I'm sitting in the front row, and along comes Frank and sits down right beside me. He wasn't there because he wanted evangelism. He was there because he wanted to sit next to me. And I turned to my wife, and I said these blasphem—those blasphemous words. I don't care if Frank goes to hell or not. That Sabbath, many years later, I uh, went and saw Frank. He was in uh, <clears throat> in the hospital. Uh, excuse me, in the nursing home. And it didn't look like he was doing so so well. And I had taken uh, a CD with me, or some music, but he didn't have a, a player. And uh, talked with him for a while, and I knew he really liked a certain kind of music, a caruso, you know. That's probably not the kind of music they play over the intercom in the in the nursing home. And so I told him I'd bring back Uh, a player tomorrow. Well, um, he kind of rested his eyes and he went to sleep. And I had felt so, felt guilty about what I had said some years before that I knelt down beside his bed and I just said, Lord, will you forgive me for what I said to Frank or what I said about Frank? You know, when God puts somebody in your path, God doesn't make mistakes. You know, Jesus hugged the leper. You know, he, 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 he wasn't afraid to touch the leper. He wasn't afraid. There are people that are different persuasion than you. But before God can use us to work for someone else, he's got to do something to our heart. You know, you can't give away something you don't have. And the first step in reaching anyone for Christ is, I've got to be Christ's, wholly and completely. How do you know if you're converted? Well, if you had asked Peter, are you converted? What do you think he might have said? Well, he says, if I'm not converted, there's nobody that is converted. I've left my hometown, I've left my family, I've left my business, I've left everything to follow Jesus. Of course I'm converted. But Jesus said to him some months later, when you're converted, strengthen the brother. Peter was unconverted and didn't know it. Do you know what the ratio is within Adventism? Ellen White says, not one in twenty. Not one in twenty. So, how do we know if we're converted? Well, first of all, the time we spend with Jesus, with God the Father, will be a telling a tale. Not the time you plan to spend, but the time you have spent with Him. Do you give Him your best hour? Your best hours. Now somebody says, my best hour is in the evening. Then give it to Him. Whenever your best time is... You know, you find Christ in the Scripture. It says, rising up a great while before dawn, He went out and prayed. But you'll find an equal number of times in Scripture where Jesus is spending morning time with his Father and evening time with his Father. In fact, uh, if you'll turn to uh, Joshua 1, verse 8, uh, you'll find an interesting principle. Joshua 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all that which is uh, which is written in it, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Uh, Mark Finley's secretary said to me, you know, Mike, she says, I can start out and I'm doing great. And then by afternoon, she says, I'm snapping turtle." You know, or words to that effect. She's uh, saying things she wished she could have back. Well, in the sanctuary, everything I need in my life, you'll find in in the sanctuary. You know, come to the cross. You know, uh, once you go into the sanctuary, there were three articles of furniture in the holy place the candlestick, the table of showbread. <clears throat> table of incense, altar of incense, okay? There was actually a fourth thing in there. Most people are not aware of it. A uh, fourth thing was the Shekinah glory because this, the curtain did not go all the way to the top. And the Shekinah glory was also very present in the holy place. And those are the four things that I need in my life, okay? Bible study, that's the word of God. Prayer, you know, uh, the altar of incense. And then, um, when it comes to the candlestick, the Christian witness, you notice that the candlestick had to be filled up twice a day for it to be light. Yeah, it had to be filled up twice a day. Twice, you know, every 12 hours or whatever, so, that, so it would never go out. And, you know, that's what Joshua is telling us. Twice a day, day and night. You'll find that in the life of, of Christ. And it's such a blessing And it's very difficult to come apart, uh, you know, I mean, if you get up early in the morning, I mean, you have that time, that's your own time, and probably not going to get too many phone calls. But if you were to just say, I have an appointment from such and such a time to such and such a time in my office, you know, well, who's that with? It's with God. If you had a new baby in your house, I've just come from our daughter who has a 10-week-old, and uh, that baby gets first attention. I don't care if the UPS man comes to the door. I don't care what happens. The baby comes first. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to die. And that's, that's our spiritual life. We can't be a light to others and, and unless we're being filled up um, with Jesus every day. And I think twice a day is, is the best. Well, I shouldn't say that. Daniel found that he needed to be filled up three times a day. Morning, noon, and at night will I pray. In fact, he would rather die than miss one of his spiritual infillings. He'd rather die, He'd rather be thrown to the, to the, You know, you could say, well, you know, just do it in the morning or just do it in the evening when nobody could see you and it's dark and whatever. This guy was so consistent; he was amazing. So, the first principle of of outreach, First um, uh, Corinthians. Uh, 15, verse 5, first part. Test and evaluate yourselves to see if you are in the faith and living your lives as committed believers. If you are committed to Christ, you'll be spending time with Him. If you are committed to Christ, another word will summarize your life. There's another word. Um, I don't know if you remember... um, Uh, the Salvation Army at Booth that started that. But he had missionaries all over the world, and uh, one year, to start the new year off right, he decided to just send out a telegram to all of his people. It was a lot of money to send out that many telegrams. And he figured he only had enough money he could send out one word to all of his people. And uh, you might think, what was that word? Well, you got any other help? That's a good... Pray, that's a good word. Any other... uh... Rest. Rest, yeah, that's a good one. But it's not the word he sent out. It's a word that lets us know we are Christ's. If God is number one in our life, because we're spending time with him, this next word will become part of our life. And it's the word Others. Others will be more important than yourself. Others' agenda will be more important than your agenda. You know, Eliana asked me the other day, just a couple days ago, she says, will you be able to do a seminar in the afternoon? Um, Kyle Allen won't be able to be here. Well, I didn't want to do that. But you know what? Others are more important than you. Their agenda. And I knew that if I was Eliana, I would want to have that slot filled, so I said, sure, I'm happy to do that. So others will be more important. Um was that, uh, verse in 1 Corinthians? Oh, first Corinthians thirteen, verse five. One day, uh, <clears throat> uh, I couldn't be home for Sabbath. In the summertime, we own a little ghost town, and uh, it's 130 miles from here, and I see a couple of people who have been there. <laughs> anyway, uh, we, uh, we love this little spot, Ritter Hot Springs, and I uh, had to stay down there over Sabbath. And uh, feeling a little picked on, you know, that I couldn't be with my wife that Sabbath. And there was a fellow there, uh, a physician, with a ponytail. And I, I don't care for men with ponytails, especially when they're gray. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and this guy had a gray ponytail. But uh, I thought, you know, he probably out here, for, out in nature, wants to get a little exercise. So I asked him, I said, do you want to go for a hike? Now, what's the difference between a walk and a hike? A walk has got no specific de- destination. A hike has a specific destination. <laughs> when you go on a hike, you're going to the top, you're going on a loop, you're doing something or whatever. And I asked him if he wanted to go for a hike. And he says, "Yeah, I'd love to." And this guy was probably about you know 65 or so, physician from the Bay Area. And we went on a pretty nice loop. And three quarters of the way through the loop, he just stopped. He says, may I share something with you? Well, I said, sure. He said, I've never shared it with anybody in my life, not even my own wife. Well, I said, if you feel comfortable, go, go ahead. He said, one thing you don't know about me is, he said, I'm bisexual. And he said, uh, two years before they identified the AIDS virus, I was practicing uh, down in the Bay Area, and he said, God spoke to me. And he said, there's a plague coming for the gay community. And so after that, he didn't have any relations with any men for two years. And then when the AIDS virus was identified, he realized, God probably saved my life. Well, he says, that's the first story. He says, the second story I want to tell you is, as a physician, it's very important. You know, the prescriptions you give to people. I mean, you could kill somebody with the wrong prescription or the wrong dosage. And he says, I was practicing for Kaiser in the Bay Area. And he said, I told a fellow, you need to come back and see me in six months. And I gave the guy a prescription, and uh, he brought it back right away. And he says, Doctor, did you mean six months or three weeks? Because on the paper you wrote, I need to see you in three weeks. Oh, here, let me fix that. I just made a mistake. He said, I was losing my mind, and I didn't know it. And I went back, and I reviewed some of the medical prescriptions for, for medicines and things, and in some cases, I had given people 10 times the medication that I should, should have given. And uh, I immediately went to my supervisor, and I said, you know, he said, I need a leave of absence. Maybe I'm just under too much stress. I uh, just need to take a vacation. The guy gave him a vacation. He decided, I'm going to drive from the West Coast, clear as far back as I can to Prince Edward Island. And I'm going to take a boat and go out to the island. That's a pretty long drive. He said, Mike, he said, on the way, I was losing my mind so quickly that I couldn't even find my way back to the hotel. Now, he says, I say I'm an atheist. But he says, every time I called out to God for help, he helped me. And he says, I finally decided I needed to drive back to Oakland. And so I I drove back. And he says, Tears would be streaming from my eyes. And I just said, Lord, help me. And he said, he, he helped me to get back to my home. Then, like Nebuchadnezzar, God healed him. And whatever it was that was making his mind go bad, God healed him and restored him. And uh, when he was uh, uh, came down to the River Hot Springs uh, on vacation, um, I said, well, you seem pretty normal now. He says, yeah, I'm about 90% back. And God restored me to being a physician again. Well, I said, you need a Bible. Do you have a Bible? No, he says, I, I don't have one. Well, I said, you need one. Well, which Bible do you recommend? And I, and I told him before he left. He said, now, which, which Bible was that again? I want to write that down. To get that Bible. Now, he says, please. Come and see my wife and I uh, sometime when you're in the Bay Area. Well, when people with an, with an honest heart want, you, want to have further connection with you, that's one of the greatest principles in the Spirit of Prophecy and the Bible on, on uh, seeking out who, who to go to, and that is, um, "From Desire of Ages, Alan um, White she says uh, let's see if I can find it here. There's a quote that I wanted to, to share. Um, Can't find the quote. I'm sorry. Let me tell you essentially what it is. He planted the seed in good ground. The, the disciples looked for open hearts. Um, this, guy was, uh, this guy was good ground. He was, he was initiating contact. He was trying to um, get me to come see him. So when I was down in the Bay Area, the next time I decided to see him, to stop in and see him and uh, we were talking up a storm hadn't seen each other for quite a while and i didn't realize this but his wife was a very famous psychoanalyst and she was in the back psychoanalyzing some patient okay but just over the telephone uh, she analyzed people like the the owner of the Oakland A's and all kinds of different people and uh, so have you heard have you heard the joke about the guy that went into a sushi bar with a psychoanalyst and a psychiatric physician? Well, I've never heard that joke either because it was me. And that's where they wanted to take me. This guy was a psychiatrist and uh, he wanted to go to a sushi bar. And I think, well, I'm sure I can get some vegetables or something to eat there. And his wife is this famous psychoanalyst. And uh, so... We sat down at the table and we waited and we ordered and could get something that, that there that was vegetarian. And uh, just a few minutes into the conversation, the wife's already on the phone again. And she's talking to somebody. Apparently the conversation was so boring that she didn't you want know, to talk to us. And so I asked her a question. I said, uh, so what did you think of me? Oh, I don't know you well enough to know, you know, I can't really tell enough or whatever. I said, no, go ahead, go ahead, give it a shot, whatever. Oh, she says, right from the start, I didn't like you. She, she hit it hard, boy, the three things, and she hit it over again and again and again. And I was feeling like a dog that had just been kicked, you know. Finally, to uh, kind of, uh, I, I said to her, so are you a good listener? Because I had asked uh, her husband if he had ever shared those two stories he had shared with me with his wife. And he says, no. He says, I started to, but she just wasn't listening. And uh, she would have ridiculed me if I had told her about God. So when I asked her the question, so are you a good listener? His, her husband just immediately stepped in and says, she's a very thorough analyst. <laughs> anyway so um, they finally took me back uh, to my car after dinner and whatnot. and the only kind thing she ever said to me was but do come back again I want to see how you're doing in other words if I had put into practice all of the things that she had told me and whatever one of my psychologist friends asked me did you ask her all these things that she's saying bad about you, how do you know this isn't projection? (laughs) I said, no, I wouldn't have said that. I would have thought that perhaps, but I wouldn't have said that. But she said something kind. Do come around again. I haven't been back to see this couple. But um, God's starting to give me the courage to go back and see them again, you know. One of the most important principles, not only is A, that you are a converted person. But to plant the seed in open hearts, okay? And then, if God gives you a chance for repeat contact, do it. Take advantage. You know, when anybody ever says to you, will you pray about such and such, always take time right then to pray with them right then. Even if it's just a short prayer. That will give them courage that you are praying for them, if you'll just take time and pray for them right then. Um, that's something that Mark Finley uh, uh, says and told me. I took a little uh, class. He, he used to teach a six-month class in evangelism. And uh, I asked one of the outcoming people, what's the most important principle that you learned in the six months that you were here? And he said, plant the seed in open hearts. A lot of times we spend too much time with people who are only slightly interested. And we need to spend more time with the people who, who are good ground. I mean, the people that ask questions, you know, with an honest heart. The people who, who contact you. Um, you can tell when a person is, is open to truth. Now, don't give them too much, you know. Just give them enough for the, for the time. Um. Question? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to awaken the interest? Okay, good question. Is there a way to awaken the interest? Uh, I asked Mark Finley about that. And he says, you know, he says, if you were to take a seed and try to plant it in concrete, he says, it won't do any good. you got to at least have a crack for their to be a chance that that seed is going to sprout. And so he says, you got to do something. What I call the heavenly jackhammer. Hmm. He says, you got to pray, Lord, make this heart open. Give me a crack. Give me a, give me an opening, do something, please. And then watch for God's providential, uh, workings where there would be a little crack, a little opening, a little something. Um, and, uh, I was watching a a news program on, on, television and uh, they were talking about then uh, the chairman of the board of Disney, Michael Eisner. And uh, they asked him, are you happy with your life? Oh, he says, I'm happy with every part of my life. I'm happy with my job. I'm happy with my age. I'm happy with my kids. My every- what do we have for a guy like that? He's happy with everything. Only at the end of the interview did he give the little crack he said, I wish everything could be frozen just the way it is now. That's the crack, you know? Of course, he knows it can't be just the way it is now. And I've got a much better ending scenario than he has. Ladonna, well, you had a question or a thought? I was looking in Christian service for the quote because <laughs> I read it. Absolutely, yeah, it's the Spirit's job to, to, to make that crack. We can't do that, we can't force it. You know, there's three kinds of ground. There's three kinds of, well, excuse me, uh, let's, let's jump to a different, a different story of Jesus. There were three things, three stories that Jesus told right in a row, and they represent three kinds of people. There was the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost boy. The lost coin didn't know that it was lost and didn't know the way back and had to do everything for that. You know, for that type of people, you have to do everything. There was, there was the lost sheep. The lost sheep knew it was lost but didn't know the way back. You got to go out after that. But the lost boy knew it was lost and knew the way back. And you don't go after that person. You stay and wait like the father did. And that's the hardest thing is to not go after those who... I mean, I just told this to to my cousin on Sabbath. I said, I don't want you to mention the name Jesus to your daughter anymore because your daughter is not ready for it, and it's turning her off. She showed me the text uh, that her daughter had s- said, you know, we're not going to the same place. <laughs> Well, they're not. <laughs> I know the daughter, and she's not going to the place that the mom is. But she, the mom is turning the daughter off by too much spiritual information when she, she, the daughter knows the way back, and she knows she's lost, and she needs to wait and pray. Another major principle that... Uh, God says to us um, in Desire of Ages, page 347. That which will be most effectual is the testimony of our own experience. Now, now this this may not necessarily be your personal testimony. It just may be the experience you've had. I had an experience... uh, that uh, I still can't believe. It still impresses me with what God is able to do. You know when it, the the song says, "It is no secret what God can do." What He's done for others, He'll do for you. I started out um, in my business um, buying everything domest- domestically. Okay. Well, there came a day when we couldn't make a profit on foam rubber that we bought here in America. We had to, for some of our core products, go overseas. And eventually it led me to China, and I would go over there, and I would uh, take contraband with me whenever I'd go. The Bible and Living Sound, I took the first digital media into China, Bible and Living Sound. And when the union found out how much I was trying to take in, they said, Don't try it. Uh, if they catch you, you know, throw the key away. So give give us some of that, and we'll kind of get it in little by little. Well, recently, when the director of the Bible in Living Sound went to China, I think just a year ago, she says we went over there, and the Bible in Living Sound is everywhere in China. Even when you buy an MP three player, you can get it free, already preloaded on there. Wow. So anyway, um, I like doing that, and uh, I would take. Uh, christian literature it would just be stapled um black and white literature at first and i've had people hold it in their hands like they were holding gold just like they were holding gold oh thank you thank you no one has ever talked to me about god in all my life i mean where can you give a tract away and get reactions like that and so i uh, decided to order a whole bunch of glow tracks in the Mandarin language and take them with me on the next trip. And a friend of mine went with me too. He wasn't even an Adventist. And he was giving these out left, right, and center, just having so much fun. But uh, one thing I was never tempted to do was to give one of these glow tracks to a police officer. And uh, I was even a little nervous when one of my friends was just freely given out tracks on a on a public and public transportation on a bus. But uh, uh, on a Saturday there was a terrible terrorist attack. And uh, since the terrorists in China don't have access to bomb making materials, they did their terrorist attack with machetes. There was ten of them and I think three of them were women, and they went into a train station and just started hacking people to death. And they killed 28 people right off the bat, and they wounded 150. Now, I didn't know about this, and uh, on Tuesday of that same week, I was in China. I had been giving out all kinds of glow tracks. Now I needed to, to have a business appointment, and uh, a guy was supposed to pick me up at a certain train station in a certain city in, in China, and I'd given out my China cell phone to somebody else, but I had my China telecom card in there. And when I didn't see my name, Mr. tolay on any of the signs, I walked up looking for a, a payphone. Well, there are no payphones in the new train stations in China anymore. It's uh, too advanced. Everybody has mobile, so why would you need a, a payphone? So I walked up to a police officer, and I said, excuse me, sir. I uh, a little problem, whatever. Of course, he didn't speak any English. And he went and got his superior officer. I should have known there was something up right then. I've never seen more than two officers in any train station anywhere in China ever together before. There were 16 officers that day on this train station. And they were on high alert, obviously, because of the the terrorist attack that had happened just you know two days before. So at any rate, uh, I'm there and uh, trying to get help from this superior officer. And I'm sure the officer has said to all the people, short conversations to all of his officers and to the point. Don't get, you know, uh, sidetracked. If they look like they're a Uyghur person, kind of like from Kazakhstan, that's the first thing, you know. If they don't, just let them be. And I don't know if he said that, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. I'll tell you the rest of the story. So uh, I said, can you help me? And he spoke about 50% English, and so he finally realized what the problem was. I'm at the wrong train station. This city is so busy and so big that they've built two more train stations, and I'm I'm, instead of the central one, I'm at the west one or something. So I didn't have a phone, and he called this guy, uh, the driver, and the driver said he'd be there, meet, meet somebody with a red shirt on, In 40 minutes. So in 40 minutes, you know, I'm thinking my problem's done. So this officer says to me, I've got to get back to work now. Almost kind of short with me. And he turns around and walks away. Have you ever had that feeling that something's wrong? The farther this guy walked, the more anxious I got. And uh, so I ran after him, uh, you know. Um, um, if if uh, Isaiah 55.12 says that we'll be led forth with peace, that's one of the way God leads, then the opposite of that is also a way that God leads. When you get really anxious, it means you're not doing something you should be doing. You need to. So I got running up to the officer. I didn't have a clue what I was going to say. But there is a text in scripture that says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Okay? Okay, and I've had that happen to me before. I was with a whole bunch of scientists up at, at uh, Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, a $1.5 billion laboratory. And before the meeting started, every one of these guys was a PhD or something, you know. I said, you know, yesterday I was in a meeting in Spokane with uh, the mayor and with the chief of police, and with the fire department, and a little boy was dying. And it was a very tense situation, and they had to leave, and whatever. And I said, nobody's dying here. But I said, some of us would feel more comfortable if we had a word of prayer before we started this meeting. This is an important meeting. Could we have a word of prayer? And the guy who was chairing the meeting, he just started the meeting without prayer. And I'm standing up. I'm the only person standing up at this big conference room. And I'm feeling really dumb. And I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the professor from Walla University said, what is Mike going to do now? And I know he won't sit down without prayer. (laughs) So I just opened my mouth. And these are the words that came out. And it surprised me. I just said to the chairman, no, we're going to pray. So I just had a short prayer, and then I sat down. And the man started the meeting again. Only this time his hands were just quivering. Apparently, he thinks that there might be a God, because why would you be nervous? And afterwards, he was so kind and so nice and so friendly and so helpful. So I've, I've had situations that have come up before where I've not known what to say. And uh, so when I caught the officer there in China... I said, excuse me, sir. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I knew what I was going to do. I had in my pocket a piece of paper with just three uh, Chinese symbols on it. The first symbol was very a very simple symbol. It's a symbol for um, the lamb. A lamb. And I said, excuse me, sir, can you tell me what this means? He says, lamb, kind of short with me. And I said, could you tell me this next symbol? He says, Yes me and I'm thinking I've got only one more question uh, to ask this guy He's, he's done with me I said what about this next one and it's you've seen the Chinese symbol it's the symbol of the lamb above me and it's the word for righteousness when Jesus is in control when he's above me that's the word for righteousness so I uh, said, "What about this one?" And he doesn't know it. And he gets his phone out again, and he's typing in Chinese characters in in this Chinese program. And all of a sudden, the answer comes up, and I see the answer in English, and it says "justice." Well, that's close, but really, you know, not the best, you know, for for this word, which is "yi," and. As soon as this Chinese officer looks at his phone, he starts to get emotional. And Chinese don't get emotional. And he points to his phone, and I don't know what he saw, but he says, this is what we need in China, just with emphasis. And then he went on to try to tell me about this terrorist attack that had happened just a couple of days before. And... uh, I asked him, do you know what the lamb means? And it just had a blank look on his face, like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. And so I wrote on the paper, L-A-M-B equals Jesus. And uh, when I told him the word Jesus, he said to me, is it a place? Well, you know, I'm lost, and this is the place I'm lost now. Maybe that's the next place I'm going or whatever. And I just shook my head. I said, No, he's a person. How to explain? Quickly got popped a thought into my head. Draw a number line. A D and B C. I asked him what if he knew what B C meant. And he didn't. And he looked it up on his phone. And then you could see just the wheels turn. As if to say, the thing we need in China is a person. Apparently a very important person, because they named the whole dating system after him. And I couldn't resist. In my pocket, I had three or four glow tracks. And I pulled one out, and it was the one that's kind of brown, it's got kind of a sunset, you know, promises of peace. And I gave that to him. And as soon as he saw that in Chinese... He became more emotional. And he said, this is what I need. And then, at 35 years of doing business in Asia, I've never seen this once in a business setting. He did the 90 degree bow, where he took and folded his hands and just bowed. Right in front of 15 fellow officers. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others He'll do for you. You plant the seed in open hearts. That man was the most open man in all of China that day. He just happened to be an officer. But it doesn't matter. When somebody has an open heart, you do it. And it's the most natural thing I've ever done. One more story from China. Uh, this is the one that's still getting me to shake my head. I still can't believe it. I've never had this experience before. It was like an out-of-body experience where, you know, we're told that angels want to take our voices and use them for God. God can actually put words and sentences and thoughts in your mind. Angels can use use your voice. Well, I was taking a bunch more literature into China. I had just picked it up at the union office. And there was probably 500 tracts and books and different things. And the uh, thought that morning that I read was Proverbs 28, verse 1. I hope that's the right one. That says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold like a lion. Now, how is a lion bold? Is a lion the most powerful beast in the jungle? No not not the most powerful uh elephants uh, an elephant can beat a lion a wildebeest can can beat a lion but a lion eats when it wants sleeps when it wants it's completely unconcerned about the other animals it just has an attitude different than all the that's why they call it the king of beasts and that text just jumped out at me that morning and uh also, another thought, you know, it says Jesus did nothing in secret. And so rather than give part of the literature with all these other people and hide it in their suitcases and all that kind of stuff, I decided I'm just going to send the box right through the x-ray. And, you know, I just felt impressed to do that that day. And I'd never done that before. And uh, sure enough, uh, the guy pulls me out of line hands me a box knife and says open it well I knew I was toast but it didn't matter I was completely unconcerned and I said to the guy in all honesty I'm happy to and so I open it up and he opens the box and he goes Jesus this was not a swear word everything in there was about Jesus and he could see a picture of Jesus Now, I've been stopped by officers before. You know, maybe you're going a little too fast or different things like that. But I've never had an officer call for backup. And when an officer calls for backup, you're toast, okay? (laughs) And this guy called for backup, and two more officers got involved. Well, he can't let you go because he's got culpability. Other people will know. And so I didn't know what was going to happen. But then it was like watching a movie movie of me do something I would not do. One thing I would never do is the officers know the law better than you do. You don't argue with an officer. Okay, that's rule number one. And so I just looked at this guy and these words came out of my mouth. He told me, you can't take this into China. And I said to him, no, it's okay. And I, I couldn't believe that those words had come out of my mouth. And then, while they're arguing about what to do and whatever, I just took the box away from the officers, folded the lid in, up, put it under my arm, and just walked out of there with no permission to go. <laughs> and I wasn't even curious to know what they were doing. I don't know if God turned them into a pillar of salt. I don't know what. <laughs> But I just walked out of there, just as unconcerned. I was just doing my bidding. But when I gave that literature to the little home church on Sabbath, and the pastor lady got it, I asked if she'd seen this kind of literature before, because I got the very best literature for China. And she says, no, I've never seen this. It was like heaven came down and glory filled her soul. You know, maybe a hundred people will read just one of those tracts. And God wanted that literature saved for that home church, that Sabbath. He didn't want me to just give it to the officers. And so he had me do something I was unwilling to do I wouldn't have done. But seeing the bigger picture, the bigger good, I was willing. And so we need to be willing. We need to be open when when, when. God prompts you to do something. You know it says in Scripture, "Whatsoever He saith unto you, do it." <laughs> you know, we need to be willing to do whatever He says, even if we're even if it seems uh, foolish or we don't want to do it. Um, one time, I had a big court case coming up, and it was against a really mean attorney. I mean, this guy was. One guy told me he says his name is Jaws. His his teeth glow in the dark. You know? <laughs> and I couldn't have my regular attorney, who was a Christian attorney, uh, defend me because there was a conflict of interest. And so I had to have another attorney who wasn't an Adventist. And while sitting in his office, I was prompted, you need to have prayer with this guy. Before this trial starts, you need to have prayer with your attorney. And I was afraid to. So I didn't. And so... I'm sitting, waiting for the opposing side to come in. We're waiting uh, outside the judge's office and outside the the courthouse. We're waiting there on the the bench. And I'm talking with my attorney. And the prompting comes again. You should pray. Well, I don't think the devil is ever going to prompt you to pray. It's God's will. And so I finally just said, okay... Mike, can we have a word of prayer before this starts? Well, I'm paying him, sure. He's going to say sure. So we're bowed in prayer when the opposing attorney and their team comes walking up the steps. Boy, was that hard to keep in bowed in prayer during that time. It would have been so much easier to have prayed earlier when God first prompted me. You know, God knows who the open hearts are. And he can prompt you what to do and when to do it. I uh, uh, thought I should talk with a businessman in town that was struggling financially. And uh, I didn't really want to talk with him, but I felt I should talk with him, so I put it on my list. You know, we all have things to do lists on our list that we never get done. Finally, it was five minutes to five, and I thought, oh, he probably won't even be there now. If I call now, he, he probably won't be there, so... Be easy to cross off my list. So I called the guy, and he says, uh, "Hello, this is Steve." I said, "Steve, this is Mike Tilley." Mike, he says, "I just was thinking about you five minutes ago." He says, "There's goosebumps all over the back of my neck." I said, "I know things aren't going too good with your your businesses. Uh, would there be any chance we could get together tomorrow?" He says, "Yeah. What time?" So we made a time, and he came over, and we talked about tithing as he surely needed financial help. We talked about several things, and then he was getting ready to leave. And that prompting came that I should pray with him. Well, I'm willing to do that. So I said, Steve, can I ask the Lord to bless your business? Well, I don't care if the guy's an atheist. I don't care, whatever. And and if you had a rabbit's foot in your pocket and said, could I rub this rabbit's foot for you for good luck? Then say, sure, you know. So he says, yeah, that'd be fine. Just before I prayed, we're sitting side by side in chairs. That inner, still small voice said, kneel. Oh, Lord, I can't kneel. He's sitting there in the chair, and you're going to make me get down on my knees and kneel? So I got down on my knees, and it was one of the world's shortest prayers. As soon as I'm done praying, I get up off my knees thinking, maybe he won't see that I was on my knees, you know. And I shook his hand, and he left, and I just felt foolish. Rarely do we ever get to, to know the rest of the story. But a lady called me from the Tri-Cities two weeks later, and she says, Do you know so, uh, Steve so-and-so? I said, Sure. Well, I just wanted to call you to thank you for your prayers. He told me how you knelt and prayed for his business, and that's what impressed him. See, God can tell you what to do and when to do it. I had a, a judge that came down to our uh, little ghost town in Hot Springs, uh, um, at the top judge in a certain county in California. And he is an atheist, and he is so cocky and so self-assured, and I didn't really care for him or whatever, but uh, we got acquainted And uh, we, uh, finally, he uh, uh, told me he needed to leave, and and, uh, I had listened to him most of the time. He wanted to talk about hunting and all that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, before he left, God prompted me, you should say to this atheist, this certain text, you know, Lord, I can't say that to an atheist. But I didn't want to be Jonah. So I I just said, Dave, I said, before you go, may I share a verse of scripture with you? And his attitude was, yeah, go ahead, but it it better be short. You know, that's kind of the attitude he was giving me. And I said, Dave, it says whoever comes to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You could have knocked me over with a feather. What happened next? Tears welled up in this guy's eyes. And he said, get me a list of books to read, and I'll read every book on the list. And he has. And I've been to his home afterwards. I was up late at night talking to this guy about spiritual things, about things that matter. His wife is a kind of a morning lark, and so we were both up early and the next morning. He says, I, she, I couldn't believe it was happening last night that my husband was talking about spiritual things. She says, I used to be a Christian. I would go to Bible study fellowship, but he drove all of my Christian friends away. She says, now I go to an Indian spirit guide. Well, I says, he has a Christian friend now, and uh, he can't ridicule you for having Christian friends because he has a Christian friend. And I said, I started him on the Bible last night of all the books that I've been sending him. Uh, I talked to David Asherick, and I talked to Mark Finley and I talked to Doug Batchelor. Which book should be the first book should I send to him? You know, And uh, David Asherick told me, send him the one um, by Robbie Zacharias called um, Can Man Live Without God? Anyway, so that's a, that was the first book that I sent him, and he he told me he says you know he says that book really bothers me. He says I read at night before going to bed, and he says when I read that book, he says I can't sleep. <laughs> Good. <laughs> can man what? I can't sleep. No, what's the new book? Oh, can man live without God? Anyway, um, the next morning, as I'm talking with, the, with with his wife, she said, you know. Uh, Our kids are an A. But she says, our marriage is a C. What she meant was a D or an F. But God can do anything. God can do everything. Um, uh, The last book that I sent to this guy was the book, The Case for Christ. And I haven't heard back yet uh, how it's going. But let me just, in closing, summarize there are three really important principles um, uh, in, in working for others and witnessing for Christ. Number one, you can't share something you don't have. You've got to be spending time alone with God each day. You've got to have the fire or you can't pass on the torch. So examine ourselves. Make sure that we're in the faith. Point number two, plant the seed in open hearts. And ask God to to make a person receptive. Ask for that heavenly jackhammer. Do whatever, but plant the seed in open hearts. And three, nothing will be as effective as the testimony of your own experience. Let's pray. Loving Father, uh, thanks for the time that we've had here sharing what you have done. And I know you want to do something with each one of us today. Not tomorrow or a week from now. Today, Lord. Give us an opportunity. Maybe, maybe it's t- to listen to someone. One of the greatest things we can do is listening. But Lord, prompt us. And whatever you say, help us to do it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse